going on down there. Hey everybody, we are here at TFCon 2017 in Toronto, we're at the end of the show, it's the evening, we've all eaten dinner, we're all full of probably meat, well, I, you know, I don't know. It is Toronto, <laughs> who knows. Uh, and uh, we're talking to David White uh, of uh, various fames, but uh, the one that's most forward on the mind is Mechazone, that's a 3D printed uh, and uh, art book, um, kind of mecha design project. Right, it's um, all about the mechs. Yeah, it's multimedia. And uh, for the reason I, I got to know your work was uh, I was I was relating it actually I think on the podcast panel it's a couple of years ago, um, just as I was starting to see stuff about your work is when I think it was I forgot who messaged who. Uh, well, people have been telling me about you, and so I contacted contacted you to see if you wanted something to review you know just to help get the word out. Yeah, uh, and I was like I think I had literally like just heard about you on another Facebook group oh, yeah. and so when you contacted me I was like well let me just go look into this guy's work and I looked at it and it's like well this looks really cool Thanks. so that's when I put on my professional face and I'm like yeah you know I guess I'd be interested in doing a quick little product review if I have to <laughs> I'm slum it a little and I remember when that Predator Fang came in picked up the mail um, and then I went to have a hot dog at a gourmet hot dog place with my buddy Ian and while we were there I was like well, let's just crack this open take a look and then like Fang in photos to me, having, having not seen one before, I thought for some reason it was going to be about this big. Everybody thinks it's three and three quarters inch. Yeah. Everybody. And I, I popped it open and it's like this handful of robot and it's really thick. First time I had seen acetone vapor treatment. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's what she said. It was <laughs> extra thick. Uh, and, and that's also part of why I keep thinking acetone is so magical because it was also in a cloud of hot dog. Uh, just, just the hot fume, dog, fume, hot dog yeah. spittle going all over yeah. it, right? Okay. And uh, yeah, ever since then, I've been really uh, enjoying following your work. And Thanks. so ecstatic that you made it out to TFCon. Yeah, I'm been... really happy to be here. It's been awesome. Yeah, you uh, you had a, a table in the artist alley. Yep. And uh, it sounds like it went really well. Like I, I put a review together of, uh, hey, this little dude, because I thought most of your bodies now are, are following this as kind of right. the main buck, and. I know, having looked at your stuff and having shown other people your stuff, you don't immediately think it's going to be a very articulate thing. So I wanted to get it very clear, you know, to my own viewing audience at least, many of whom are coming out here, that it's a playable toy. And I thought, oh, man, sure hope things sell. I'm going to go pick up that shockwave when the dealer room opens. Nope. <laughs> so I, I ambled my way through the dealer room, like, oh, let's go see what David's doing. It's like, what, three of them were gone already. Oh, yeah, right away. So that was great. Um, yeah, it's, it sounds like you had a, a pretty good time. I had a good time. And it's funny that you mentioned that you, people don't think they're going to be articulated because it's actually hard to get people to pick them up because they think they're going to be so delicate they don't even want to touch them. With Fang. Like, like, I know. <laughs> but that's one of the reasons I did that toss test because I was like, this is the best way I can communicate how much this thing was was about ten times the, the in-hand density right. of what I expected. And Aaron... Uh, you picked yeah. up uh, one of the one of the buggies. Yeah, I picked up one of the buggies and that had busted it out a couple times at the down at the staff dinner area, and people were like, "Oh, what's that?" And they were handling with kids kid gloves kid again. Gloves, right. And I'm like, "No, it's it's a figure. You can mess with it." And then somebody was working a wheel enough that it like popped off, and it was just the look of terror. I'm like, "No, just slap it back together." Like, yeah. what? Oh, well, yeah. This is really meant to be played with, isn't it? I'm like, yeah. That's I think the point of having toys, so but. And you mentioned that in the first video you did where I take it to parties, I let kids play with it, and I, I'm like, try to break it. Yeah. I give it to my wife, and she tries to break it. 
<laughs> she's usually pretty good at that. And then uh, I put it back together, you know, and I find out what needs to be re-engineered until it's as sturdy as I can make it. Right. Well, and for all the downsides of being like a, you know, there are probably downsides of being a one-man operation running off of uh, a series of Affinia printers mm. like out of your studio. But one of the upsides is probably that you could do this this kind of product testing, right? Because it's like, no, go ahead, break it. I'll print another piece back at home. It happens, and it iteration is ongoing. So right. even after I do a release, the next time it comes out, it's it might be different. Like, it, I, re- I do the right. legs completely and, different And that's now. definitely yeah. a, a strength for you for additive manufacturing methods, the, the 3D printing, because mm. it's a whole lot easier to like tweak something. It's not having to do the the rounds yeah. and have somebody go hit a mold with a chisel for a little bit to make that part bigger. And there's no middleman, no communication right. error. I do everything, so I know what's going on. And it also, I, I found, um, I mean, granted, it's your time still, but you know, given infinite time, you're able to avoid the one major pitfall of designer toys, which is usually there aren't that many copies, and when it's come and gone, it's gone. Gone, gone. Uh, right. Whereas in your case, and like I had to communicate super loud in the comment uh, yeah. section of the last video, if it says it's sold out, go look at his commission listing. For like another 10 bucks, he'll just make one on order for you. In any color they want. Yeah. And, uh, and like that, and the fact that you can also upscale your prints. Right. Again, it's a massive time sink, so of course it's not costless. Yeah, it but has its expense. Yeah, it's, you're able to experiment, you're able to... There's a certain risk-freeness if you ignore the part where it all takes a lot of time. Yeah, well, no, I can agree with that because I can just make another one. Yeah. yeah. As long as I have the material. One problem I do have is they stop making certain colors or a company goes out of business. Uh, the orange on the original Explorer is different than the one on the, the assembler, just slightly, because they stopped making it, and I had to find a new Better supplier. Better go get the Pantone books and oh, pull it up to each other. We might have one of those. <laughs> yeah, um... In 3D printing, uh, I, we talked about this before. I'll just bring up the anecdote again. Uh, a year or two ago, I was talking to Vengsta um, and a guy from AFI Design, uh, who were both producing some... Uh, well, AFI was producing 3D-printed little accessory parts, like add-on parts. Mm-hmm. And um, Vengsta, of course, does a lot of his prototyping now in a 3D printer before he moves on to his hand-cast resin. Right. And uh, so I asked the two of them, I was like... What's up with support material and scrap material? Is there any kind of recycle, or is it that it? And they both gave me this look, going, "No, that's it." Also, guess like what one of the biggest bummers of the medium is is the sheer amount of waste produced. Right. Um, so, do do you feel like um, I'm spitballing here? So, Aaron, you should jump in if you know. Okay. Uh, is there any, um, I guess, hope of turning scrap uh, material from this style of 3D printing into anything usable after the fact? I think it depends on which material you're using, because there's the resin from the uh, SLA laser printers. Then I use ABS, and there's also PLA. I don't know anything about recycling PLA, but supposedly it's more uh, bio-friendly, like it'll degrade a lot faster than ABS. So ABS, I don't know a way to recycle it Yeah, like I said, I I do know that with uh, ABS, there is a... Like you can pay somebody, You can pay someone to do it. Um, but there is um, a pelletization, um, or I know I've seen somebody talking about a pelletization one where... Oh, they like, do make like, those, yes, absolutely. Right, the way that like Hasbro and Lego and everybody does their ABS doesn't come off of a spool. They get a truck full of little tiny blue pellets, and they feed it into a hopper in a mill, and well, that's when they need injection molding, though. Right, but it's right. still pelletized yeah. ABS plastic, and so... 
there, I know that I had seen one or two places that were talking about trying to do that. They, they to, exist. To the come last to time a smaller I saw scale. it was like $1,000. So, yeah, maybe it was it, 600 It was a lot. It was out it, of my price was, range. Yeah, it was still working more towards the the pro side of the prosumer yeah. stuff that all of the desktop 3D printers are, are in a realm of, where it starts to get more towards like maybe small-scale industrial would be using it versus... Yeah, you would need a lot of plastic just yeah. to make it worthwhile because it's basically... A bin right. and an auger right. and a hot end. You've and got a big auger, auger, the hot end, and then you're going to need uh, to recycle. You'd need uh, like a shredder to, oh, to get once you once through, you yeah. once you've made the thing and oh the print's no good or oh this is your support material. You'd have to then chunk it back up into something that's yeah. pelletized to be able to run it again. Yeah. So that is that and it's for yeah somebody possible, but in, it's not practical. Yeah, for somebody in your application, it wouldn't really be practical. Right. And it feels like that's one of certainly not the, but it's one of the the roadblocks still for like mass consumer three D printing. That and you know having a, a speedy print of the thing I want, you know, like in Star Trek. Um, right. But it's so cool to see like what the stuff's capable of. Like not to. I want to get, get just take a brief step away from the medium and uh, just go onto the design side of things. Um, for those who don't know, like when you create one of these figures, like you're working on it from the like ink on paper level, right? You should, uh, one could say of like you know just that level of design, and that's also like uh, been been part of your vocation for a while. Like you have quite a body of work. Thanks. Um, yeah, I, I trained in art college, so I learned dimensional illustration and shapes, color theory, drawing. Painting, everything, animation, armature making, uh, monster effects and molds, and I learned it all. So then I got a job doing video games, and I learned how to computer model, like low poly stuff. So you put all those together, and there's the toy. Yeah, right. there's something cool about the part where like the line art is almost it's like you know to simplify it, it's almost like you fed your line art into CAD. Because you know how to use CAD, yeah, stick the wire in your brain. But like, since you know how to use that that program, that those programs, you're able to, in a way, translate that work, you know, into into a 3D model that still accurately represents you right. know, the basis of the design. It's not going through another person's style. Like a modeler yeah. often has their own style, a little bit of tweaking here and there. Uh, so I keep it very pure to what. I conceived in the in the beginning, and for for the Transformers folks, like you did some some Transformers design on uh, was it one of the DS games. Yeah, it was uh, Transformers War for Cybertron, the Nintendo DS version. They had yeah. an Autobot and a Decepticon version, mm -hmm. which is weird. But I did several for each. I did the Dinobots before they were in the actual PlayStation Four version, so they just threw them out. But they were in that game. Yeah. It's like Clonus, Swoop, Grimlock. Uh, we did a Blue Streak who didn't get used, but then Andrew Griffith. Retooled him into Prowl for the comics. It was really cool to see that show up. Yeah. Uh, and they did some other stuff that never got released. I can't even think of what they were called. But I did, like, eight or nine total. It was fun. Well, in the case of, like, the characters, because I, I remember the DS games had a much wider cast than uh, uh, the, the console game did. And to see some of, like, you know, the Dinobots, like, then become, like, this huge focus in the sequel. Mm. Like, uh, what was that like? Was that, was that kind of like a blink moment? Like, I thought we did that already? Or No, because... I think it's High Moon Studios. Are they the ones yeah, that did it? Mm -hmm. Their concept artists were top notch. You know, I really respected them, and I had to work in their style. So it's only natural, I think, when you do a big project for PlayStation, which is multi million dollars. You know, dozens and dozens of people. They want that to be the best. So they have their guys do it, and they put it in their style. I, I thought that was perfectly natural. Cool. Yeah, um, we we uh, have talked to uh, Matt Teacher from High Moon a couple times ah. um, before. Unfortunately, a lot of their uh, staff were let go because um, I think it was the Deadpool game that kind oh, of yeah, ended up sinking them. 
Yeah, um, they had a lot of talent there. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, they're they still around, but now, last I checked, they were one of those studios you farm out your Call of Duty maps to. We were that kind of studio when I made computer games, was we worked on MechWarrior 4, and we worked through Microsoft, we did Neverwinter Nights, and um, uh, lots of stuff, really, some... some uh, it's only space, I don't know what it was called. Um, but the orcs from the recent movie, Warcraft, we did Warcraft, Warcraft, yeah, yeah, yeah. Warcraft expansions and things. We did our own games too, but we did a lot of that. And it's sort of gap filler. Yeah. You know. Do you feel like, because um, I've talked to people who uh, who were in PR, who moved from game PR to toy PR uh, in, in the last five years or so, um, just at New York Comic Con. Uh, what do you feel like when you look at like the state of you know the video game world right now, where there's... Uh, it feels like, compared to maybe 10 years ago, there's more of a respect for the artist in video games, or at least a little more care about the artist on the, on the I guess, the indie games level? It'd have to be the indie games level. I think yeah. it's gotten less for the major titles. Oh, yeah, that chasm has definitely yeah. opened up, where it's yeah. either the artist's name is on the front, or it's just a studio name. Right, right. it's usually the studio. So for the smaller ones, I mean, it's usually just like three people making it. So, of course, yeah. they're like, I did this, and you got to respect that. But then it takes so many years. I mean, think of Kickstarter. I, I yeah. back games all the time, and how many of them have I actually gotten over the last eight years? Maybe, like, two? Yeah. And how many of them have I been happy with? I don't know. It's either one or two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe zero. Or maybe, maybe zero. Something. No. Uh, oh, man. There was the one for the PlayStation. Yeah, you guys got me. I'm tired. I'm sorry. I'm tired. No, no, no. Convention. no but um, there's one that I have on the PS4 where you're this dude, you wake up in front of a fire, and it's alternate world. I want to say it's by Heart Machine, but that might not be true. And you get to dart around, and you got the sword, and it's cool. Do you, do you feel like, um, cause I always feel like video games, because they started as an electronic toy, I always look at the video game world as not like a parallel, but I feel like video games are almost like, they often feel like a place that toy toys as a medium, um, how do I put this, they're not lagging behind, but whenever I see video games I always feel like toys are always about like like five steps just behind, or they remind me of where video games felt like they were, you know, some time ago, uh, all, both in the coverage and just like the state of the medium itself. Um, and so I always try to think about like parallels between you know designer-driven games and what I feel like is the growing world of designer-driven toys. Uh, certainly not a new world. Um, you know, designer-driven toys have been around for a while, but I certainly think in like 2017, we, it's a lot more of a thing than it was before. Like, yeah, it's tough because the audiences for for toys and video games are not really the same. I mean. Toys have declined in popularity. Mm -hmm. Video games have gone up as people have the digital media all the time. Kids don't even buy toys anymore half the time, they're, or books. They're just playing on their iPads. So I think uh, money is probably a factor in that. Like, where do you want to put your advertising money? Mm -hmm. Where yeah. are you going to make the most money? And uh, games are more popular. It's telling that like you know, toys to life uh, toys are some of the best selling toys in the last while. You know, like Amiibos, Skylanders, Lego Dimension. Like, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, but that's all. The toys that literally tie into a video game. There you go. Yeah, the multimedia experience. But that's um, clever marketing. They have probably had all these skilled artists or people who were thinking that way. They had a production pipeline. They had factories on call. And they're like, well, we want to keep people employed. We want to mm -hmm. keep using these skill sets, so how can we meld them together? Well, and this just goes back to part of the reason why I'm so interested in, in the stuff you do, because uh, it was a year or two ago, I was at a panel where someone who was in the toy industry um, had mentioned that he saw, you know, a potential, um, you know, five, ten year future of toys being 
that a lot of it is collector driven and primarily um, driven by people who are able to do their own self manufacturing, you know, like three D rapid prototyping. Right. Um, so, do you, how do you feel about that? Like, do you feel like like stuff like um, your Mechazone projects, like maybe are what could still be around even when the greater toy industry maybe starts to really fall in on itself? Like, like wow. people who produce their own things, like very creator driven, you know, smaller runs but creator driven toys. I think that that those types of toys can still be around because they don't need to be so successful. You know, mm-hmm. they can. I can make ten, and that's cool. I can do it whenever. I don't have to make. 10,000 of them to make the, the cost justifiable. So, yeah, that can still be around. Will mine be around? I'll have to work hard yeah. to keep it fresh. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. How many of this body type are you going to buy? You know, like, I'm working on a new Predanaut, the bad guys now, hopefully for Designer Con. You just got to keep going. So, it might still be the same property, but I don't think you can let it just stagnate. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Fresh. Like, I, I, when it comes to indie toys, like a, someone else, it's always, you know, worth looking to is whatever uh, Matt Dowdy's doing with oh, sure. Glyos projects because certainly. An indie toy line has been around since like what oh seven, uh, if I remember correctly. Like, yeah, that Gly armor that you know adds a whole new dimension now. And capes in the last release, it's really great. Yeah, like like uh, something that can have consistent production quality, consistent numbers, and also feels always like it's a completely different line than it was five years ago. Right, yeah. and think what he does with the same tooling, but just color apps. Yeah, he, and I don't even know how he comes up with all those because he's already done every color. There are only so many, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> like and he keeps coming up with fresh and interesting things and then he's done some homages recently to the old adventure people he had a series of five like the brainoid was so cool uh and you know he keeps people engaged and he knows his audience so he plays to that which any toy designer movie maker anybody would do so uh, it, it's cool stuff well on the same vein um how do you feel about uh what i would think of as maybe the other end of uh of designer driven toys with that being you know kickstarted lines um, ah, you know, yeah. easy examples: Vitruvian hacks or stuff the Four Horsemen are doing. Right, the Four Horsemen stuff, so gorgeous. Yeah, like, they just recently said, "Hey, we're going to finally get a warehouse." That's <laughs> like, I bet you could have done that a little while ago. Well, they had some—I don't know if they had production problems, but they had a time lag, right? A lot yeah. of time between the things, and uh, I don't keep up on those too much. It's there are so many that don't even make it, so you got to got to appreciate when they do. Mm-hmm. Oh, but that was Hyperlight Drifter was that game. Oh. oh. Yeah, I, I back that, and I'm very happy with that game. Um, but I haven't seen too much of the Vitruvian hacks. I mean, I'm familiar with it. And there's that Velociraptor sort of... Oh, yeah, Mesozoic era. Mesozoic area. Yeah. So that's great. And then there's some others that failed Kickstarter. Um, there's a Street Fighter Mor- item. Morphonauts. Oh. That guy, yeah. actually, I think he just had them produced anyway. I saw that he had them in stock. I don't know how it's going, but they're magnetic, like the old uh, Commander-style Micronauts, the yeah. camera cars and mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, so, I think it's great. You just have to be really honest about the pricing. Most people don't understand. Can I see the figure? Yeah, for sure. So, the figure, this has an accessory add-on, but just the figure itself, from general estimates, tooling just to make the mold for this would be 25000 and up, right? <laughs> that's not manufacturing, that's not shipping, that's not production of the actual final model, because my model would have to be remodeled to mm-hmm. work with it. So, who has that kind of money? Uh, that, that was actually going to be one of my questions. Do you, do you feel like you have any interest in a crowdsource model for some kind of expansion? Oh, I, ha- I would love to do it. Okay. I'm just not confident that, that I can get that kind of money because yeah. I see so many of those Kickstarters fail. And good Kickstarters, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, could I? I don't know. I'd love to try sometime, but it's just a lot of work. 
do you, do you feel like you have any interest in like uh, collabing with some of the other indie toy artists out there? Like again, because he's collabed with like uh, a gigantic number of people. Like Lyo's stuff is always uh, first to mind. But like, are there any any like uh, toy folks that you, you'd like to try doing a project with? Well, I've seen One Thousand Toys do some collaborations with Toy Pizza, yeah, and Real Head from Japan. Well, that stuff that's serious. But they're an actual company doing factory produced stuff. So, as far as indie people go, I have my my buddies Prometheum Five and, and Brown Noise. They were next on my list to bring up. Yeah. <laughs> so collaborating with cool guys like that who have good ideas and similar interests is cool. I would do that. Yeah, I wanted to bring them up because like I, I, I realized, and I don't think a lot of people know this, but like when I found out about you, it was hard at the time to find out about you without also finding out about Brown Eyes and Promethean 5, and they do also really cool work. Yeah. Um, it was kind of just your work aesthetically and um, in a tactile sense clicks with me the most, uh, and I actually feel really bad that like I... <laughs> I don't bring up their stuff as much because they, they yeah, they, they do really cool stuff as well. But one of the differences is they have day jobs. Yeah. And I don't. I'm a freelance <laughs> illustrator, but I'm able to devote more time to it, and I really make an effort to do toy lines, and they still produce stuff, but I put way more time into it. So I think it's just a matter of being prolific, mm -hmm. and it forces through more iterations, so you kind of get that design style. Plus, I do... Uh, exhaustive sketches you know really to get that design I probably did 15 or 20 different body designs and maybe 30 different heads I really worked through it and I really tried to refine it and that's that time factor again right. I, I had the time to do that yeah and I you know it pays off and it also like different focuses right like um, especially by the time you've hit this body like you are going for something that feels like a very modern toy where right. it's like, like I tried to update this so it didn't have as much of that homage feel that the other versions had yeah yeah whereas like Brown Noise like, I, and I thought it was really cool like I remember following his blog and he's like I finally have designed basically like the Shogun Warrior Rocket Punch yeah. in 3D printing it's cool. yeah I'm like that's, that's still yeah. amazing I think he uh, calls that line the Shogun Voyager the, yeah, I know he has some smaller. Ones. It's like the buzzsaw thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gingin, I think it's called. From, yeah, uh, uh, Grandizer was one of the main enemies. Yeah, and, uh, uh, that stuff uh, is all worth looking up, by the way, to the people checking out this. Yeah, I hope I'm saying that right. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> if I'm not. Uh, no, no worries. Um, just I guess to we should probably start one. And then Aaron, I've kind of talked. No, I um, I was just sitting here thinking about uh, the the point that you were talking about how. I think it was a BotCon a couple of years ago where somebody had asked about 3D printing and and I think on the Hasbro side they were talking about that and then shortly afterwards they had the what was it the AllSpark Forge that copyright yeah thing the copyright that looked like they were doing a 3D printing thing which then kind of took my mind to you with your models and you know we we made the joke down on the floor like hey you can just send me these models uh, what, yeah. what if you could have like a DRM protected model where you could send it off. And it's only good for one verified print, um, and for like three dollars, right. you add <laughs> get the money out. Get the money out. They like, would, would that need, change your mind? That on? would that would change my mind if they could get people to support it. Right. There was a, a service that did that. I wrote an article for them. I'm trying really hard to remember who they were. I think I remember what you're talking about, and I don't remember their name. And they had they had a DRM through their website where you could pay. And the, there's a problem with this, in that there's so much free stuff right. already available. That, that why pay? That why pay? I put right. up some of my Minimex, the little ones. The mm -hmm. they were like literally just a dollar or three dollars or something. And it was a one time. You download it. The software controlled the DRM, and you could print it and do it. And I never sold a single one. Oh, yeah. 
because there's everything yeah. else you could want. I mean, that's almost the YouTube argument, right? Like, there's there yeah. is a paywall you can turn on mm -hmm. on any YouTube video, but unless you have something magic, right? Like, it's you know, got to be incredibly magic. I've had the conversation about review videos with family before, and they're like, "Oh, why don't you charge for your videos? They're so good, or whatever." And I'm like. Because they're not good enough that someone's not going to just click over to the 500 other people that do yeah. it for free and right. often just as well. You know, like, it's uh, tough. It's really, it's really tough. Uh, I, I wanted to throw in there, by the way, if you if you do ever have the opportunity to collab with Sentinel, you totally should because they seem like cool people. They're wicked cool people. Like uh, you said, Sobari and I just hit it off great. We met at Five Points Fest in New York City, and I'm going to see him again at uh, DesignerCon in LA. So that's going to be exciting. Oh, man. I'm not implying that there's any collaboration going on at all. Oh, no, no, but but you're, if they wanted to, I would be all over that. When, when you were sharing on social media that like he he bought you know uh, a figure off of you and was and was digging it like that. Yeah. As someone who is watching this from afar, uh, that still seemed really cool because I'm I'm quite a fan of Sentinel. Yeah. They, uh, they, they, were, they were all great. They had the whole gang there and they were all great. Tell them tell them a fan when you see him next. Tell him a fan. I'll show him a picture and I'll put a little heart on there. Yeah. And I give it to him. <laughs> <laughs> he won't know what's going on. That's funny. Well, we we had my um, jumbo epsilon. If you've seen the epsilon buggy, it's like a blaster master homage. And I made a triple size one that's three and three quarter scale, so a GI Joe figure will fit in there. And he was across the aisle, and we were rolling it back and forth to each other while we were there. You want to talk about a nerd, mega nerd time? That was great. Where else would I do that? Yeah, and, yeah, that was fun. Man, well, uh, we are we are hitting that mark where we should okay. probably start winding down. Uh, but I, it's been a, a huge pleasure to talk to you on record. I had a few other bullet points in my head of things I'd love to to have recorded being said. Uh, for instance, here's one. Uh, nothing wrong with artists who give out their CADs themselves. However, should you ever walk up to an artist and say, hey, send me your CAD? Yeah. The CAD, no way. <laughs> the CAD is literally the modeling file. That would just be ridiculous. Like, that's that's borderline backhandable. Yeah, that okay. is. That is. On record. There we go. Giving me, giving me your STLs is also just as bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even offering to pay for them, for most people, I guess, is okay. They put them on Shapeways, and they can print the file that way without having to get the STLs. But for me, I want my craft in these fig figures. You know, I, I yeah. take my time to make them right. just the way I want. I make sure the joint tension is right. The materials are strong. The finish is good. So to me... Well, especially since you do no, other processes to it yeah. before the end because you've got paint on a lot of these. You do your your vapor bath to, to smooth it out a whole lot. Yeah. That, you know, Joe Schmo at home isn't going to do that or they're going to just drop it in the acetone and then have sludge and right. all that stuff. Well, uh, to close up, um, let's say we got someone watching this who has an idea and they want to pursue it and they're, they're worried about it. Like, what would you say to someone who... Who's like, I have an idea and I want to make a toy, and, I, and I'm worried that you know it's it's going to be real tough. It's going to be real tough. Uh, I would say uh, learn how to 3D model. If you don't, that's usually the number one hurdle. You can afford to buy a 3D printer; they're easy to figure out. You probably have an idea, you can doodle it down, or you have a friend who can doodle it. But 3D modeling and actually getting the idea into a usable shape that can be sent to the printer is the number one hurdle. So, I use Blender. That's a really big question for people which is free, uh, watch a lot of YouTube videos, figure out how to use it. <laughs> it's kind of tough, it has a weird interface, but it's very capable. So there you go, free software, download it, spend a few months watching YouTube videos and learn it. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, that's all for me. Aaron, um, you want to like text your buddy who's going to keep that fight going? No, I, I'm just yeah. going to take it and drop it on his desk. <laughs>
Boom. That's the first thing I asked him when I saw that he actually bought one. I was like, are you just going to go find that guy you were texting? Uh, there was a thing where Aaron has a friend who is in 3D printing stuff, and Aaron got to be the middleman between a, between a, an with, with, with some brand arguments. <laughs> I was intentionally goading him. Just, just waiting for a Jets and Sharks moment to come. <laughs> so I was like, are you just going to walk up to him and just plunk it on his desk and go like, Affinia! <laughs> yeah. yeah, I do like my Affinia printers. They're very good. Yeah, and uh, I... David White has got a YouTube page with uh, a review. Oh, that's French right, French. I do. Uh, you've also got Mechazone. Mechazone on YouTube. Mechazone on Instagram. Uh, Mechazone on Twitter. On Twitter. It's, yeah. That's some that's some of that on-brand uh, social media use. Yeah, I have a, a DeviantArt account, too, where I go once a week and just delete all of the notifications <laughs> and then close the, the tab. Yeah. Oh, so usual DeviantArt news. Usual yeah. DeviantArt news, yeah. Uh, well, cool. Thanks for spending some time with us. Thanks for putting up with our nonsense. That was fun. And, uh... Thanks for bringing your stuff down to TFCon. Hope to see you again. Yep, I hope so too. Thanks a lot. Excellent. It means, but you got some badass perpetrators that are here to stay. <laughs>